Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Analyzing Everton, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Royal Blue Channel. I'm David Hughes and to my left is Josh Williams. Josh, second show, how are you? All right, mate, yeah, week two. Um, getting fully involved with it now. <laughs> I mean, it was an absolute disaster of a weekend, <laughs> really, and uh, not ideal in terms of um, the to be, to be honest, he's absolutely threw us under the bus, really, hasn't he? I mean, Jesus Christ. I mean, we'll get on to it, but we were laughing about this show because this has been in the pipeline, hasn't it, for a while, the Analyzing Everton show um, on the back of the stuff with Analyzing Anfield. And I did say to Josh, you know, we find with Analyzing Anfield, it's very much um, a brief overview of Liverpool and then looking ahead to the opposition, given just how well-rounded Liverpool are at the moment. Well, I did warn them that it'd be very much a post-mortem each (laughs) week with Everton and that does seem to be the case. But... Um, coming up on the show anyway, we'll we'll have a look at the Norwich game and just what went wrong, really. Um, With our feet on the ground. Yeah, gonna stay feet obje- on the ground. Stay yeah. objective. Definitely, stay, yeah. Try to remove emotion from it and things like that, which may be a little bit easier for myself, but, yeah. you know, we'll see. here we go anyway. Um, yeah, and then just what's next for Everton. Um, as as of recording, it's, it's Tuesday, um, so... All we know is Mar- Marco Silva's still manager um, and we'll kind of proceed on that basis. Um, and we'll have a look to Leicester City as well, which is is going to be a tough game because uh, Leicester are obviously doing very, very well this season. Um, so, Josh, Norwich. Um, remind me, what did what score did you back Everton to, to win? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that I was about 4-1. Do you know what though, right? Th- those that listen to Analyzing Anfield and to th- 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 that we do will probably be none. No listeners at all. Um, but we do seem to get predictions fairly comfortable most weeks. Mm. And I think that stems from, you know, you're able to predict a top team fairly accurately. Um, whereas it seems that it may be a little bit rocky. It, c- it can just go completely up and down. So I predicted a 3-0. Looking at Norwich... Regardless of of whether you're having a rocky period, I think that was a realistic shout. Yeah, but, but I, I honestly couldn't believe the scoreline after the uh, after 19 minutes. Yeah, it was. Um, oh yeah. Well, let's get into it. Um, so before kick off, Everton set up in a four two three one. Shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> shock. The big thing that really stood out straight away for most Evertonians was. Sigurdsson in at number 10 like he was at Southampton and Awobi on the bench. I think that's very prominent for us because we spoke about this a lot in the last show, didn't we? And people who listened into the last show will know um, it's something that, you know, we were like, that that shouldn't really be happening anymore. Um, it's happened and I think it did impact Everton. I must admit that I am consistently baffled by team selections f- f- weekly. 
you know, on the likes of Twitter, when it, when the team selection comes out, I do consistently feel frustrated every time I see the lineup, and it's just a case of like, I think you can, it, it almost offers an insight now into a manager who is almost out of ideas regarding the playing personnel at his disposal. Yeah, the, the, for for him to select the team on the weekend that has you know four attackers and three of those are Tosin, Sigurdsson and Theo Walcott. Mm. It it it's just um, you'd like to think that by now Ever- Everton and Silva will have moved past that as an idea. Yeah. Um. So for him to revert back to that, as I said, I just think it captures a manager who's out of ideas, doesn't really know his best side, doesn't really know his best players, despite being in charge for around eighteen months. Yeah. Um. And you know the formation stays the same basically every week, but the players used consistently change mm. and obviously a, a player interprets a role based on his own skill set so yeah. every week the the way in which Everton attack will be changing just because you, you're using different attackers who attack in different ways yeah so it, it's just it, it's up and down yeah yeah you can't, basically can't sustain a, a playing style a playing style really um, just certain attacking patterns yeah that you know you will become accustomed to and you'll bounce off other players with, yeah. um, based on their own skill sets. As I said last week, Everton have got players with slightly odd profiles, and you know they're not really inclined to complement one another naturally. Mm. Uh, so it it can just result in certain struggles, maybe a lack of cohesion, lack of fluidity. Yeah, and I think we saw that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we'll just while we're on the subject of it, we'll 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 stay on with. Just the Sigurdsson and the Wobi thing, because um, I'm a, I'm just such a huge fan of his. Um, I look at some of the numbers. So, firstly, Sigurdsson um, completed 21 passes over the course of I think it was 96 minutes. Um, Wobi completed 16, and he was on for about 30 odd minutes. Um, I will be completed two of his three attempted dribbles. Sigurdsson completed just two in the game. Uh, I will be completed four passes into the penalty area. Sigurdsson just three. And strikingly, which I thought says a lot about what we were saying last week and what we've everybody's been saying really, Sigurdsson receives 18 passes throughout the course of his 96 minutes. I will be con- received 17. So it just shows that... And bear in mind, I will be was out of position as well. He was... You know, he was he come on and he was playing more on the right side, and that's that's not his position. But he was still there, finding these pockets of space to receive the ball and influence play. Yeah, well, that's what he's, he's that type of player for me. That's that I said last week that I think he's he's inclined to provide a bit of glue in, yeah. Ever, in Everton's attack, and that that to me is something that Everton are clearly desperate for. Mm. You know, players that, as I said, don't really complement one another well, and if, if you've got a player inside that who's able to link the play better than others. Short passes around the corner, inclined to play forwards before anything else rather than, you know, simple sideways passes, which Sigurdsson's prone to. Mm. I just think it will be, can provide that for Everton. And, you know, for whatever reason, he seems to be being overlooked. Like he's, I, I, particularly against West Ham, he started to show signs of promise to me. And I can't really, you know, from a distant point of view, can't really get my head around why he's now out the side. Yeah. But having 
not really done anything wrong. Yeah, it, fe- it felt to me, and obviously conversations I've had since, if, it feels as though maybe Silver felt like it was a case of not changing the winning side, you know. But that to me is such an outdated philosophy. You know, that's, that's what you were doing, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But the way football is now, you know, you've got to adapt your sides to try and nullify the strengths of the opposition and expose the weaknesses. And I don't think you can just blindly go, well, you don't change a winning side. Especially when, if you have a look at the team that finished against Southampton, they were better than the team that started. Do you know what, though? I think, I think it stems, again, from, from the lack of ideas. I think he's tried... Well, I think from his perception, he thinks he's tried an awful lot. Mm. And he's not really sure anymore what works, basically. And yeah. I think when a team does get a win, and obviously I think around 24 shots to six, I think it was against Southampton, yeah. I think it, w- without even knowing particularly how it's worked or why it's worked, I think Silver's reached a point whereby we won the match, dominated for large periods, really. I, I will keep that mm. and kind of hope that it just continues to work. I think yeah. he's past the point of being in a position where everything is planned and everything's premeditated and he's he's literally just testing different things, different, um, you know, pairings of players or, yeah. or whatever, if you like, and, and hoping that it comes off, really. I think he's, he's past the point of, of, of looking at the looking at his players objectively. Mm. And, and and deriving a plan based on the, each player's skills. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. And you talk about the um, he's running out of ideas. You know, I feel like some of that is actually filtering out onto the the pitch. Um, certainly in the way, you know, just pr- sometimes predictability and tactics and not being able to try something something new. You know, Everton attempted uh, twenty nine crosses in the game. And that's the the familiar theme of that was kind of receiving the ball through the middle and then just playing it out wide consistently, usually to Dean to then almost put an aimless cross into the box and hoping for the best. Now, the last time Everton got anywhere near that in terms of a figure of 29 crosses in the game was Sheffield United at home, which once again, a very similar story to what happened on Saturday. You know, it's like... Plenty of attacks created, but just nothing clear-cut. And it's all very one-dimensional, same stuff. I mean, I've had a look in Everton. They've got the third most crosses in the division this season. Uh, 274 they've attempted. But they only scored six headers. You know, they, they don't score a ton from these crosses. Um, so it, it, it's just they just seem to have one form of attack, and it's not a very profitable one. Yeah, I mean... Just obviously with me being a, a, a red, I, I don't overly see a, a great deal of of an issue with crossing simply because I'm aware of how much we've benefited from it since, particularly since the rise of Alexander-Arnold and, mm. and Robertson. Um, so it, it can work, providing you're doing it correctly, providing the delivery's good, and providing you've got A, good, good, good numbers in the box, and B, players that can actually head and find the net. I think that's a skill in itself. Um, but on the other hand, when when a team gets to that level of crossing, it it does it is kind of an indicator that we're struggling to break through. Mm. We need we're just we're now getting to the point whereby it is a bit aimless. Mm. Man City are prone to that. Yeah. 
I think if you look if you look at the, the matches whereby City have put in the most crosses over the course of the past maybe two seasons, you'll 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 come across a lot of the losses. Yeah. And a lot of the draws that they've had to suffer. And it stems from their usual attack and play not working. Mm-hmm. Um differences with Everton maybe be maybe they become a little bit too reliant on the crossing. Maybe there isn't many alternatives beyond that. Yeah, well, I think um, that is that is the, the the crux of it. Really, it's it is just one one dimensional stuff. It's you know there isn't there isn't different forms of attack. And you, you touched on there about the aerial threat in the middle. You know, nine times out of ten, we know that the defense is the numerical advantage. So you need someone good in the air. I think Calvert Lewin's a good good head and a good target man for these crosses. But he is in in and out of the sides. For example, Everton had Tosin in there on Saturday. Who for me just isn't Ronaldo someone who can particularly offer much in terms of aerial threat? So if he's in the side, I I don't understand why you're trying to put too many crosses into the box. You've got maybe Richarlison who can come in and is all right in the air, but you know you're not going to see Sigurdsson bombing in and you know a diving header from six yards out. So it's a lack of options, and as I said, it, it just it comes again to this um, this hit and hope mentality of just getting it out. And, out wide, crossing it in, hoping for the best. And I think it says a lot that 29 crosses in the game, and I can't really remember one that was caused a great deal of threat to to, to Norwich, really. Um, another thing that we should probably flag, because we spoke about it last week, was um, our Everton tends to outshoot the opposition. But the chances that they do concede seem to be of a... Of clear a, cut. Clear cut, yeah, of very high quality. Um, so much so that I was looking into it a little bit. Um, it did happen again, though. That ex- well, yeah, it that, did, that yeah. was exactly how the game went. So if you if you look objectively at the shot map, mm. Everton took Everton outshot Norwich by about five shots. Yeah. Um, but if you actually look at the locations of those shots, the expected goals value of those shots, they're all just quite, um, quite low quality, unrealistic shots. Maybe shots that go in one in every ten times. Mm. Um, if you've got attackers that are above average quality, mm. maybe a few of those will be finished, and maybe Silver will get a few favours done by yeah. by those players. But because Everton's attackers aren't particularly clinical, um, that you know those eighteen shots, I think it was that were just you know bang average quality in terms of difficulty. Mm. You know, you're not giving anyone easy chances. They're all yeah. just fairly normal shots that they didn't really find the net whereas I think Norwich had about 13 shots but certainly two of them were just six yard box yeah that's it well to put it bluntly Norwich had less shots but still won the XG on the day and obviously scored two goals yeah Um, and the reason they won the XG was simply because their shots tended to be more clear cut yeah even though Everton had more of them uh, you know more general shots yeah I was um yeah, I was having a look anyway at just Everton's numbers in general this season and the expected goals against per shot average. So just to give a bit of context to that, that's the that's basically an XG given to the each shot as an average, isn't it? Yeah. So their average is uh, 0.15. That's the highest in the Premier League. And, I mean, stand, this really stands out. It's the third highest across Europe's top five divisions as well. And to, to try and put that in more basic terms, what it means is Everton tend to face the most clear-cut shots in the Premier League. 
and they also face the most clear-cut shots, well, the third most clear-cut shots in Europe's top five divisions. Yeah. Which is, is really bad, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, you know, basically when it, when a shot does come, it's fairly, it's relatively easy to score in yeah. comparison to most shots that are taken in football in general. Mm. The ones that come against Everton are easier to score from a striker's perspective. And it's very frustrating because, as I said, Everton is still, even after this weekend, they've still faced the fifth fewest number of shots across across Europe's top divisions. So that should be something that, to be celebrated. You know, that should work as a platform to build upon. But it's it's almost irrelevant because of when 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 they are facing the shots, the, the pretty much lead to goals, like one in one in four of the times. Yeah, which and is, then, and then w- once one of those shots does come. And you maybe, you know, the opposing team maybe take a lead. Mm. You then have to maybe adapt your game, yeah. chasing the game. Yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the whole game state changes, really. And I think Everton's record under Silver wants to go behind isn't particularly strong. Yeah, but they still, to this day, haven't come back from going going behind to go on and win a game, which which is, 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 is terrible, really. It is, you know. But I am conscious <laughs> of we were... We were Fairly supportive of Silver the best we could. Yeah, this is going to require context. This yeah. mindful of this one. So it's it's not that we've suddenly seen Everton get beaten, decided. Oh no, he's 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 not up to scratch. He needs to go. It's not that reactive. But and this isn't really a case of the numbers just being nonsense. Really, no, it's yeah. just a case of the numbers are, are useful. They offer the insight into you know the performance levels of a team without considering anything else. Yeah. But once you start considering those extra aspects, such as, you know, is he progressing the team? Can you see a clear end goal? Um, how how does he, you know, personality off the pitch? Mm. Is he improving players? Mm. Are players playing for him? And all those extra intangible aspects that come into whether a manager's job is safe or not. Yeah, I mean, if I, you know, for example, if if the home if the home crowd. This isn't something we normally cover or will be covering on the pod, but if the home crowd is singing to sack the manager, it's so hard to recover from that, in my opinion. And that's a big difference from when we talked about them last week. And also, I didn't expect him to repeat the sort of mistake that he did on Saturday in terms of team selection. You know, I expected... I felt like he's a young manager and he's constantly learning. And with that in mind, I expected these learning caves to be steep, but for him to learn. And yeah. he repeated a big issue for me on on Saturday, which was predictable lineup, wrong plays and wrong positions. And Everton were well beaten on the, on the day. You know, if it was another VAR decision or just pure unlucky, then you could you could live with it. But because of just all those intangibles that you've you've touched on, I've just touched on there, I think it's he's in a very difficult position to to stay yeah I think as I said earlier I think for me he just he just epitomises a manager that for me is out of ideas mm. Um I think rather than recognising that things aren't working and maybe considering even a change in formation and a complete overhaul yeah. in that regard he now seems to be back to the attacking dynamic that he was trying a season ago yeah with Walcott Sigurdsson and Tosin as part of his, his attacking four yeah. When he's aware, he should be. He should be aware that he's already decided that it didn't work particularly mm. well. He's gone back to it because there's nothing else to go back to from his perspective. Yeah. Um. 
I do. I do think I will say. I do, I do think Everton's squad is a, is problematic at the minute. I do think it's in the state of flux. It's still transitioning, um, and there's there's a, a load of attackers that, as, as I said last week, are just weird profiles in yeah. terms of like you know benefiting each other, their individual qualities, you know, helping other players naturally rather than being instructed. It's just a strange squad to to pick an eleven for anyway, um, and I think. He's clearly struggling to do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we'll we'll thankfully move on from Norwich. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Before we look ahead to Leicester, maybe just what's next? You know, as I said, it's where we are at the moment. He's he is still manager. In your opinion, do you think do you think he'll probably he'll probably have to go? Um. I think you you do get to a point where okay we analyse performances that's that's what we're going to do yeah. beneath the surface rather than just looking at results we're inclined to look at performances but that doesn't mean that results don't matter yeah and I think that was a big result that uh, yeah. to lose two 0 at home huge. it genuinely felt huge that yeah. loss and if if you're showing signs of relative promise beneath the surface that will that should bide you a bit of time but. There will be a point whereby you have to be delivering results to an extent to show that that end goal sort of thing, mm. um, and I think especially once the fans turn, yeah, it's a it, it is a long way back, and I, I don't think he's got the, the makeup or the squad or, or or any anything to actually recover from that. Yeah, I mean, um, we did we did say just to add context in case you didn't catch the first show. Um, you know, just looking at the underlying numbers, which are really good for just gauging. I don't know, we call them performance indicators, yeah, don't we? Yeah, performance indicators. Yeah, you know, Everton were ranking this for non-penalty XG. They were ranking in the top four for non-penalty XG against. They were ranking in the top four. On the whole, they looked they looked to be in a false position in the in the league table. It, yeah, it, lo- it looked like Silver had maybe suffered from a bit of luck, bit of bad luck. Obviously, yeah. VAR decisions, which he has. He had. He had. You know. Because we 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 took as I said we touched on a lot of this last week, but you know football's such a low scoring game that a dodgy VAR decision or just a bit of a fluke goal or conceding the wrong time can really be detrimental points wise, especially in such a tight division. Um, and I think he's definitely suffered in, in that regard, and he's obviously a lot of injuries um specifically through midfield so it hasn't it has not been an easy season for them but i do just feel like it went to the point of no return on saturday you know it was the third promoted side ever to face this season they've lost 2-0 on all three occasions which it's not great that no it's it isn't you know you've wasn't aware of that one yeah they played Aston Villa got got beat there very similar story again where you know they went behind, lots of huffing and puffing, but no clinical chances conceded late on. Sheffield United, something similar happened there. Um, and then Norwich as well. So it, it is hard to just make make the case that lessons are being learned. And for that reason, I think it is going to be really difficult for them to to stay on. Um, so in your opinion, if he is to go, what sort of, what sort of profile of manager do you think Everton needs? I know it's a very vague um, question and it's hard to answer. No, it's a, it's a question that, without doubt, 
the people involved with the power have to be asking. Yeah, because um, you'd say there's a theme, wouldn't you, of Martinez, Cumin, Silva. It does feel like there's a similar theme there. Of yeah, maybe of, looking for the next potch. Yes, that yeah, sort of exactly, thing, next yeah. potch, Tino, yeah. Do you think they need to veer away from that? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say they need to veer away from it, no, okay. but I think they maybe need to be a little bit more considered and a little bit more focused on identity, mm. I think. Um, I think specifically Cumin and Silva, they both so showed signs of promise at their previous clubs, but if you had to define their football right now, what would you really say? Because I, I, I don't think there's a... Less so with Martinez, I think it's quite clear what Martinez yeah. is trying to do. Yeah. But I think I think Everton, above, above all else, need to invest in a manager and a playing style from brands down. Mm. Um, that, for me, represents the club yeah. and the fans and the city. And this is something that, again, from a Liverpool perspective, we managed to do really well. Obviously, the city of Liverpool is, you know, in quite industrious. Yeah. Um, aggressive in a positive way. No, no, yeah, um, it is, yeah. You know, with f- fighters kind of thing. Yeah. and. I think we appreciate football that is quite assertive mm. and quite aggressive and direct to an extent. I don't mean direct Burnley-esque. I yeah. mean direct as in, you know, from front to back without much sideways going on. Yeah. Um, and I think Everton need to identify managers out there that are posting good performance levels, able to get a squad in order um, with a personality, but also with a playing identity that, as I said, is just gonna, just gonna represent the club accurately. Yeah, um, I was I was talking to um, Wheelo, one of one of our um, sound guys. So. Uh, well, I'm not, sorry if I haven't get painted you in the right picture there, Wheelo. <laughs> one of the guys, the Echo. Anyway, and we we were just talking about, you know, the kind of the kind of atmosphere that say Goodison can give with the right manager. So you know, it was Goodison is a strange place where if you have got that industrious manager in place, you know, who kind of feeds into that narrative, it can be a, such a difficult place for the opposition to play at. Yeah, definitely. But it feels like under, you know, Martinez, Cumin, Silva, it's been very, you know, they've been trying to, like a, a more continental place to play. Yeah, you, yeah. You maybe understand so, yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, it, that doesn't feed into how Goodison works at all. And that's why I'm wondering whether we do need to veer away from that kind of manager and go to something a little bit more... Be careful. I know, <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm very careful. Be careful, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I was talking to you about Chris Wilder. I yeah, I know what you say. Yeah. Clarify that quickly. Because <laughs> you don't want to look as though you're just suggesting an, an age-old English manager. Yeah, exactly. Like it's not. I'm not looking for, like, I'm not saying let's bring in Sean Dice by any means. I don't want someone who's just there to, yeah. to play you direct. And, you know. Cause I, think, I think when you suggest a manager like that, to a lot of people's perspective, it can look like you're saying it while holding the photo of the Queen or something <laughs> like that. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not a case of that. No, it's um, not. It's, uh, it is just... I just think we need something a little bit more. You've you've already said there's something just a little bit more direct and hard working and just things that Evertonians enjoy to sit, enjoy watching. Yeah, I think speaking from my perspective, obviously using Jurgen Klopp as an example, one thing Klopp said when he came in, he obviously referenced the atmosphere of Anfield and mm. of Liverpool fans and things like that, and he said, you know, when you when you look at 
at that atmosphere, you you can't then go on the pitch and play nice sideways, slow build up possession football. Yeah. It just doesn't really work. Mm. And by getting Klopp in and by building a squad that is suited to that brand of football, mm. we're now in unison from top to bottom. Really, yeah. the fans, the manager, and the players all represent one identity. Yeah. If you like, and I think Everton have a very similar club in terms of having a having a support a fan base and a ground that's very difficult to go to. Mm. Um the supporters value the same type of endeavour mm. and the same type of, of work rate in terms of football, but while also, you know, playing football if you like, yeah. you know, no messing about kind of thing. Yeah. Just just like football that represents the city accurately and I think Everton would benefit from I just say a, a Chris Wilder um who's gonna play Progressive football on the floor, yeah. But who's also inclined to basically be really up other players' backsides in terms yeah. of like you know fight, strong tackling, yeah, aggression. I, I do wonder how like many that. of our listeners see Wilder who maybe because you know we we know plenty and I'm sure we'd be the same if he wasn't working in the industry. There's plenty of you you keep an eye on your own side, but you're drifting and out of what other sides are doing. So I wonder how many people are maybe looking at Wilder and thinking he's a, a British manager at a you know a traditional British club, Sheffield United, and he's a Sean Dyche type character. Yeah, he's not anything but. Is yeah, he? no, it's not the case. Yeah, he's um, he, he 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 certainly carries some some of the, the similar traits in terms of uh, I don't know he's. He can be. He likes his to be aggressive, but he is a very, they say, British un-British manager. I think that there's a there's a thing about British managers that they do seem to value, and this is a positive. They do seem to value the the character traits mm. of certain players, and they yeah. seem to value, you know, just day in day out. You've got to be absolutely committed and things like that. Yeah. And, that 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 is a positive in general, and that's something that I do think Everton's fan base would value. One 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 slight issue with Chris Wilder is he's he's not comfortable. Well, he's not comfortable. He's, he's not. He's never previously worked under a director of football mm. such as Marcel Brands. I think he signs his own players basically. Yeah, a little bit traditionally in that sense. Football's going down the roots of directors of football, so I think he's one of three clubs in the Premier League at the minute that don't have a director of football in charge. Of yeah, which a, is of actually yeah, it's some some somewhat of a rarity now, isn't it? Yeah, um, but just just going down that that brand, I think going going for that type of identity that basically tries to appoint a manager that personifies the the, the fans, if you like, the, and what they value. Yeah, I agree, and this is why myth busting a little bit for me in terms of the potential appointments of someone like Arteta. Now, I think a lot of people think see that as a sentimental appointment. But Artes is an exception, isn't he, surely? He's 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 coached under probably the best manager in best coach anyway in, in world football for is it three years now? Guardiola's best coach uh, in world football. I think he's up there, yeah. Oh he's you? oh sorry. Yeah. So what I'm no, saying I think what, Guardiola's been the best coach in world football for longer than that. I, I Oh I, yeah, I, I no sorry. Artes has been under him for three yeah, three years. Yeah, sorry. Um, and not just that, he, he doesn't seem to be an invisible man on that coaching on the coaching team either. Like, how many players talk about the influence of of Arteta at City? You know, so many top players have done it. Sterling's done it. I think Delph himself did it. Guardiola waxes lyrical about him as well. And 
Guardiola's had a few assistants. I don't remember them really being like that with with any others. Albeit, I suppose I haven't. We haven't kept a close eye on as much. But I just believe there's there is great managerial potential in Arteta, and I think he would unite a fan base. Yeah, no, I think I think um, consider he's clearly valued by Guardiola. Yeah. The way Guardiola speaks about him, and he's worked under him as you say for three years. Um, and I think from a from a data perspective, at least, I think the general goal in football really is to take plenty of shots mm. while restricting the opposing team to yeah. taking many. And if you do that week in week out, you'll win the majority of matches. And I've I've heard Arteta speak about what his brand of football would be, and he's referenced that sort of thing. Obviously, he's played. Obviously, he's, he's at City where you know they do that week in week out. So I think he'd try to bring that. That consistency week in week out. Um, obviously, he's respected by the fans because he's a former player. Yeah. Um, so he he naturally gets time because of that. Get a little bit more trust because of that. Yeah. Already speaks English. Um, familiar with the Premier League and things like that. Bit of an issue in that it would be his first managerial job. Huge so obviously, to be yeah. to be a, a degree of risk mm. taken there. But you know, young, new ideas and things like that. One one slight issue may be, you know, we've just been referencing the identity of Everton um, as, as a club. Does he I'm fall, a, yeah. Yeah, I am inclined to think Arteta, not not to the extent where it's, it's nice, boring possession football, but I am inclined to think he would be the type to always, always want the ball. Um, and that can become slow depending on the players that you have available. Mm. So there's maybe a little bit of a clash there depending on how intense Arteta wants to be without the ball. I'm assuming it'd be very. Yeah. But it, it just depends whether there's whether it fits in with what we've, we've just been saying. Basically. Oh, yeah, I, I was aware of that. I think it's... it, 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 it Whoever the points should should Silver go, it is going to be a crossroad in terms of identity. And I think there we've specified two potential routes that they could go. And I think there's a a good argument for both. Um, it's just how, it, how Everton then choose to proceed with the same. Um, but we'll wait and see. Um, I think we can agree that Moyes would be a, a bad move. I hope by the time yeah, this I comes mean, out, Moyes hasn't been announced. But No, I mean, if you're doing that up until the end of the season, with a view to absolutely getting the next appointment right yeah. and spending the rest of the season literally analysing who is correct for this role. Mm. But other than that, if Moyes was to get, you know, I mean, the season's still very, very early, very young anyway. There's still so much to play for. There is, but you you don't want to be forced into an appointment that is going to become problematic again in two years. You want to absolutely get this one right. So I'd have not much of a problem if Moyes was appointed, as I said, up until the end of the season. Mm. But if he gets beyond that, like, say, for example, Mark Hughes got at Southampton, he obviously kept them up yeah. and then they give him a contract. Mm. Absolutely daft for yeah. me. For, for me, you, in football, you don't go back. I, I just that's just my perception. No, I agree. And a lot of people seem to be referencing. Uh, you know, he, he done a lot, a lot better of a job than people remember. But and he did. He he did a really really good job. But obviously, over the past six years, he's been sacked from United, which you know you can't really say much about given what's happened there over the past few years. But then the, been sacked from Sociedad. Sunderland, West Ham, you know, some medium-sized clubs there that he hasn't been able to replicate what he did at 
he did at Everton. And I just, I think that says a lot that maybe you know, we started managing either, I think it was late 90s or early noughties. You know, the game has progressed so much and he's had a lot of time out of the game now. I'm not sure if he, if he could do what he'd previously done again at Everton. But hopefully we'll, we'll not find out. Um, we'll move on to Leicester then, Josh. Because they're a good side, aren't they, this season? They are a good side, yeah. I mean, weirdly uh, overperforming in some areas, which I'm sure we'll get to. Yeah. But um, I think regardless of that, I think for me they're comfortably the fourth best team in the division. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, the second in the table at the moment, which behind eight points behind Liverpool. Um, obviously, Rogers come in midway through a season last season, which is quite. Interesting, given um, the similarities between Leicester and Everton. Um, they've recruited fairly well, haven't they, since he's been there. Um, but they, but crucially, though, they recruited flawlessly before he was there. So he came in, unlike Silver for me, into a immaculately built squad. Yeah. Um, lots of interesting profiles rather than uh, slightly awkward ones, if you like. Yeah. Very young, very mobile. So he's, he's got... Plenty of options there, plenty to work with. Yeah, I agree. Um, we were talking about... So just a little bit about Leicester. Obviously they've, if we look at the attack initially, because the attack has been almost um, praised as one of the best in the in the division. Obviously Vardy's in great form. They've got some really good attackers. But, and I'm sorry, Rodgers is considered as quite an attack-minded coach as well on the surface. Whether that's actually fair, um, we don't know because I think a lot of that narrative kind of stems from that crazy season at Liverpool, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but we just have a look at some of the underlying numbers. So, you know, they've in terms of looking at non-penalty XG, the um, it's seventeen six five this season, which actually ranks eighth in the division. Is that a bit of a surprise? So you've got teams like. Um, Ironically, Everton are ahead of them. United, Burnley, Aston Villa, Chelsea as well. You know, it, 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 what it would say is, um, I mean, they seem to be massively overachieving when you look at how many goals they've, they've actually scored. Yeah, they've, they've scored about 10 more than yeah. they actually should have, which, you know, if, 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 if you are inclined to follow expected goals, you would expect that to gradually revert yeah. to uh, back, back to normal. Um Having said that, I think one of the reasons that they're overperforming is because of um, a the way the way in which Rogers has lifted his players. Yeah, and I think naturally, if you do that, they will basically perform. Yeah, um, beyond beyond what you what they usually would do. Yeah, um, I I, mean, I was just gonna say I also think it's huge that these seem to be while the attack is. Well, the attack is performing well, but we don't probably think it's going to be sustainable. Would that be fair to say? At this level, at this rate, at least. At th- at this rate, I'd expect it to come down a little bit. Yeah, obviously, yeah. We, it's worth stolen as well. That they've, they've benefited a lot from red cards and things like that. Yeah, just, they've had a lot of variables go in their favour, haven't they? Yeah, I'm not sure they've went behind as well many times at all. Yeah, I think most of the time they've scored the first goal in the match. I'm, I'm things like that. Into that. Yeah. Yeah, I'll look into that in the meantime, but yeah, but um, if the attack is good but not great, the defence looks to be great, to be fair, doesn't it? Yeah, the defence does look really good. Uh, I think they're currently the third best team in the league 
the expected goals against. Yeah. Behind only Liverpool and I think Manchester United, actually. Manchester United, it is, yeah. Um, um, it's actually the non penalty, actually, they're actually against the ranked top. Um, but yeah, they only conceded eight goals all season as well, which the, the next, I think Liverpool are next with 11. So three goals less. And yeah, they just, they, they've got some really good defenders, haven't they? Who seem to be. They've just got a, a, a really good system. Yeah. They've got players, they've got a squad full of players that benefit each other naturally, which is what I seem to keep saying. But, you know, just to provide an example, right? He, he's, he's currently using like a, a four-one-four-one system. So, just to give an example of how certain players can can benefit others, you've got Jamie Vardy up front, mm. who's inclined to run in behind mm. and stretch the opposing defence. Yeah. Behind Jamie Vardy, he's got a midfield two of Madison and Tillemans. You wouldn't commonly perceive those as centre midfielders. Mm. They're getting space generated for them by Vardy, who's inclined to run in behind. So they're inclined to drift forwards and use all kinds of space. Yeah. And they're allowed to do that because behind them, they've got Wilford and Deedy who can cover the, the ground of two players mm. and is a pure defensive player and that's it. So just recycle. immediately there, you've got a spine that just works mm. just based on the natural tendencies of each player. And, you know, taking it back to Everton, you know, I you saw me, didn't you? I, I had a little go before just... Building, if I was to come in like a Mourinho, for example, now and and look at Everton's squad from scratch, it is relatively tricky to, especially with the current injury states, mm. it is relatively tricky to to get a formation and a first eleven on the pitch, and look at how things work in a balanced way, considering the traits and tendencies of each player, mm. their preferred foot, what they're likely to do in position, out of position, you know, all that sort mm. of stuff. Yeah. It is just a, a strangely built squad at the minute for Everton and I think that's one of the key reasons why um, Rodgers is really benefiting at the minute. I think he came into to an ideal environment, really. Yeah, yeah, ev- yeah. I totally agree on the Everton thing. The, the, it is it is quite disjointed, um, whereas Leicester, it isn't. You know, the, and they the just seem to be all playing really well in unison. It's, it's, it, you know, I am, I am impressed with the... As I said... I do expect the perform. Just looking at the underlying numbers, I do expect the their form to drop off slightly. But I do think it's imperative to note that they've got quite a few points on the board whilst they have been on top or or performing really well. And I think that that'll be important comes the end of the season. So yeah, I don't expect them to sustain a title challenge, for example. But as you said, top four, pretty much confident that they'll they'll finish in it. Yeah, but the, the thing is, though, regarding what you've just said there, even if they weren't picking up as many results, say, for example, Leicester were in around 10th now, mm. you can see an end goal, you can see what he's building towards and, mm. and, and things like that. I think that. Yeah, I think that's important regarding, well, a new manager and being given time and being afforded time and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to wrap it up. Um, normally we... <laughs> We end on a verdict, but I think it's, I think it's hard because you don't actually know who's going to be playing for Everton uh, in terms of personnel or even who's going to be manager. Um, I'm going to go with as things stand, they've not changed between the time of recording and the match on on Sunday. Um, 
I think I'd go for the three 0 Leicester. I think that's that's just how how difficult the task is for Everton at the moment. Um, Josh, yeah, um, I can actually see just by the way in which Leicester play, um, they don't tend to do particularly well in terms of creating clear cut chances, mm. um, and yeah, I, I, knowing how good Everton are off the ball and at least in terms of preventing shots as a whole mm. I can see it being one of those matches where the majority of the play is just in and around the midfield areas mm. and not that much actual output on both ends but I do think that uh, maybe it's 2-0 for Leicester I think just a lot of that although will be down to just that, that intangible of you know almost momentum Momentum, yeah. if you like, just you know, Leicester are winning week in, week out here, not playing, not having to play any with midweek games. And, and um, you know what, it's it, it echoes for me when, um, when Le- when Everton played them away at the back end of their title winner season and they were just flying, similar to how they are now. And Everton were end of the Martinez era, wait, really waiting for the inevitable. And it, I think it was three, one, three nil on the day, but very comfortable victory. And I can just I can just see something similar in this game. Um, but we'll wait and see. Yeah. As I said, it could be an interesting week by the time we come round to the show next week. Um, it could be very interesting, in fact, but we'll we'll leave it there, Josh. Um, thanks very much, mate. Yeah, no worries, mate. Yeah, and by the way, everyone, just thanks for the feedback for the first episode. Should have mentioned that at the top of the show, but um, it's, it's been unanimously brilliant really um so really appreciate it uh thanks for tuning in and we'll we'll see you next week you've been listening to the royal blue podcast from the liverpool echo